This session is from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. This session, and let me introduce this session, it's entitled Honesty and Truthfulness. As you know, we are engaging in ethics, and one of those ethical issues is the fact of honesty and truthfulness. Is a Christian always morally obligated to tell the truth? And we often think of one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, Thou shalt not bear witness, false witness, against thy neighbor. Okay, so we're going to talk about what what do you do in Scripture with situations like Rahab? and other situations, and so we're going to talk about that. What I will do is I will try to work my way through this handout, and I've abbreviated somewhat. I teach ethics here, and we spend more time on this, but I've given you not just a brief but a a, a pretty thorough paragraph explanation of about six pages, and we'll cover it in time and then leave some time for some questions afterwards if we can do that, all right? And uh, uh, we're going to uh, work our way through the issues dealing with truth-telling, lying, and deception, okay? And so they all come into play. Often they're umbrellaed under this concept of thou shalt not lie. So what do you do then with Rahab? Bring it modern. What do you do in World War II with the Nazi German soldiers and hiding Jews in the attic? What do you do today with smuggling or taking Bibles into China or North Korea? And so we've got different situations, uh, okay? And what do you, uh, and different situations that you can think about in, in those areas. So we're going to touch on that in the session. My name is Dave Burgraff. The session is titled then in this workshop, Honesty and Truthfulness. Is a Christian always morally obligated to tell the truth? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin. Right, Father, thank you for the opportunity we have this afternoon to start this conference in the workshop sessions and to uh, work our way through some important topics. And may we, in this presentation, do so with clarity, please. And we'll ask you to give us wisdom as we then engage in understanding and in our opportunity to ask questions so that we can clarify better uh, what you have to teach us out of your word and into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will stick pretty much to what I have put on the paper. If you're coming in, we do have a handout for everyone. Are there enough handouts in the back yet? I have extras if we need them. We can get you handouts. And Mark, if we need more, I have more up here then, okay? But you'll, you'll want to get this because there are references and footnotes that I would encourage you to look at later if we don't get through all of that now. The question I raise, is it ever morally right to tell someone something that is not true? Is it ever right to give misinformation? And the study we're engaging in here is entered with the belief that God's word makes it clear that we should not lie. And for sake of time, I won't turn to all of these. I haven't PowerPointed simply because I want to make sure we get through and don't have to deal with technology. But I give you, for instance, Psalm 34:13 that speaks about specifically deceit, 
Psalm 119, 163 about falsehood, Proverbs 12, 22 about lying, as well as Matthew 7, 22, Ephesians 4, 22, Colossians 3, 9, 1 Peter 3, 10. I have a footnote there. What about, how come you didn't include, notice footnote 2, about Exodus 20, verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. If you uh, follow along, why isn't it included in the list of references? One of the thick books that we're giving to every one of you, uh, here is Wayne Grudem's on Christian Ethics in the 2018 uh, volume that he's published, which is thorough in this field. Wayne there speaks about something with great clarification, and that is, if you can work with the Hebrew language, you would see there that the specific focus of the command is about being a false witness. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, understanding it within the construct of the theocratic kingdom, then as God gave it to them, it's actually speaking, that's a courtroom term. You cannot and should not ever bear perjury against your neighbor. And Copan and others translate it that way or look at it that way as well. Notice a little further, because in addition then, this false witness is born not against a stranger, but against your neighbor, who you should be especially well acquainted with and with whom you should love, Leviticus 19.18. But the commandment is not prohibited, intended to prohibit only that false speech, but also there seems then under this commandment to question then lying and truthful speech in general. So, But it is not just limited, and we'll, we'll carry on from this. Okay, but how do these passages balance with the clearly deceptive battle strategies in the Old Testament that God himself gave? For instance, in Joshua 8, verse 2, about deception when you go into I, and we're going to then lay an ambush, okay? And God's apparent commands to tell less than the whole story. Tell Pharaoh we're going to go for three days, okay? Or 1 Samuel 16, 2. Are there any biblically permissible exceptions to consider when it comes to deception, i.e. the Nazi German soldiers? What is our moral obligation in matters of communication? And with that in mind, we seek then to arrive at a conclusion, first of all, that is true to all of Scripture. In an attempt to do this, there are a number of issues then we're going to try to clarify. All right? We want to make sure that our ethic coheres with the totality of the canon of Scripture. We don't have permission then to say, well, it means that there, but it doesn't mean it here. But no, God's word should cohere. All right. So let's bring out several points, and I'm going to track through, and I'm going to build on this discussion. Number one point that I want to bring out, as I said, in order, let's raise the first issue. Number one, and I'll categorize lying, deception, and dishonesty are somewhat interchangeable terms. Lying, dishonesty, deception should be understood to be the same as far as debating, when I say that, their moral rightness. Okay? And again, I uh, go back to Grudem, and I'm putting some of these in here so that you can track and see further development. Notice on the bottom of page 2, footnote number 4, where Wayne explains it this way. In a broad sense, some people think that lying refers to all kinds of deception, any, including them that which is spoken in written statements, but also actions that where you might mislead or deceive others. 
For instance, let's leave the lights on in our home so that burglars may think someone's here. Okay, now are you deceiving? The answer is yes. Okay, so you're a liar, all right? No, and not an ethical Christian. He goes on to say verbal statements that only disclose part of what someone says to be true and unintentional falsehoods that someone believes to be true but ultimately are false, okay? And I've underlined in mine, highlighted the next four lines. However, these broader definitions of lying include so many different categories, it makes discussions of this topic almost hopelessly complex, often leads to more confusion than clarity. In addition, Wayne writes this, and I agree with him fully because in my studies I've arrived at the same conclusion, I am not aware of any modern ethical thinker who argues that all kinds of deception are always wrong. The Bible treats deceptive actions and false affirmations a little differently. That's where we're going with this. Back up to the top now. One practical reason for saying that they are interchangeable terms when it comes to moral rightness is that a reasonable parent would not accept a child's excuse that, Mom and Dad, it was not a lie, I simply misled you. Okay, well that's still going to get you spanking. Okay, keeping on going here. Neither would one accept the excuse that although I deceive you, I did not lie to you. And I've underlined that lying is commonly thought of as the outward verbal telling of untruths, while many often think of misleading or deception as nonverbal communication of things that are not true. In reality, there's no fair reason to delineate these categories. Okay, we, they're all morally, as it were, then... Uh, they fall into the same category of right or wrong morally. But let's go a little further. Lying, deception, and dishonesty can include both verbal and nonverbal communication. Does that make sense? Okay. Or lack thereof. And I'm going to put and watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to use an illustration of a pastor, what you and I would call living in adultery. Okay. And so I'm going to illustrate using that. You track with me now and see if you then follow and agree with me. Here we go. There are a number of situations that he's going to encounter with his spouse. And if you look at Ephesians 4, wherefore putting away lying in the air is tense meaning once and for all, now speak continuously thereafter truth. And then comes afterwards the expression then in chapter 5 of marriage, etc. You would expect in a marriage you're honest. If not, in a marriage has to be built on trust. One of the footnotes we developed that. And we would, all God's people would say what to that? Absolutely, amen. You have to trust your mate. Okay? That's, that's foundational to marriage. Okay, illustrations. Four bullet points here. Watch what happens. He was out late one night and his wife didn't know where he was. He had been committing adultery. When he arrived home, his wife asked him where he had been. He told her a completely untrue story of a car accident that he made up, causing huge traffic jams. Did he deceive and mislead her? We would say, yes. Let's go on to another situation. In the same situation of committing adultery on another night, he told his wife that he was arriving home late because of a last-minute hospital visit. Now, it was true that along the evening he had made a hospital visit, but he had also that evening committed adultery. 
Again, I ask you, did he deceive and mislead her? Yes. Had he told part of the truth? Yes. Another time when his wife asked him where he had been, he didn't give a verbal answer at all, but he skillfully changed the subject to avoid answering. So no lie ever came out of his mouth in that sense. But did he deceive and mislead her? Yes. What if the wife, fourthly, had never asked any questions? He was never challenged about his life of sin at all. Did he, was he, deceiving and misleading her? Yes. The common statement we make about this kind of a character is that he is, finish it with me, living a lie, which will ultimately have devastating consequences when the truth is revealed. In the footnote there in McQuilkin and Copan is the latter paragraph that this is eroding his character, but ultimately breaking trust, which is, notice the last four lines of footnote number five. Once a person has deceived another and is known to have done so, it is difficult ever to restore full confidence. No amount of truth can quickly erase the indelible imprint of a lie. Why? For the person who has been deceived may rightly ask himself, herself, when will it happen again? Deceit is the ultimate destroyer of good relationships because good human relationships are built on trust and what? Confidence in your life and action in words. Are, are we tracking together? Why, well, sure, this is sort of Another common biblical sense. Can God forgive? Yes, but it's going to take... God can do something different than we. And as you read in Psalm 113, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, etc., I will put your sins away from you and remember them no more. We're not God. It takes time to build trust back up. Okay, trust broken is a very difficult thing to restore. Can God do that? Yes. Absolutely. Can he forgive the sinner? Yes. But you and I, when we see any faltering of that, our minds go back there. Jeremiah says one of the rules is, I promise to forgive, I promise not to bring this back up again, and I will not keep reminding you of it all the time. That's what God promises, praise God, or that's what causes us sometimes to question our salvation when God causes, Satan causes us to doubt God's word. But we live by God's word, not our feelings, First John 3. And so, a good God who can forgive and doesn't keep bringing those things up to us. Humanly, we're not glorified yet. Those things still track with us. And we have to work to build that trust relationship. But that, parents, children, spouses, we can, but it's going to take some time. And the Spirit of God helping us through that. Okay? Now, Notice, though, he was living a lie. Therefore, the paragraph at the top of the page on three, it seems very clear that one can deceive, lie, or mislead by telling things, first of all, that are not true, or telling part of the truth, or purposely avoiding the question, or by remaining silent about something of which you were never even asked. Are we together with this so far? Let's go deeper. Lying, deception, and dishonesty become such when the truth is owed but not given. Now hang on, okay? Why is the husband guilty of dishonesty in all of the situations 
that we just spoke about. The root reason is something I alluded to, not because of what he said or not said, since it varied in each illustration. The husband was guilty of dishonesty, and underline this, because his wife had full right to the truth about his life. She's living with him in that life. And she has a right to be exposed to even the unfaithfulness. During this struggle with the issue of honesty, now track with me, Christians, you and I need to eject, rid ourselves of the common argument or defense that people will make about deception. Well, what about the Nazi soldiers? Well, then you as a Christian have to make a choice between the lesser of two evils. Have you ever heard that? Okay. I want you to, when it comes to lying, deception, and dishonesty, in a sense, to put that argument aside. Okay. Because I'm going to show you something that in certain exceptions, that argument doesn't come into play with the Nazi soldiers, nor with Rahab. Okay. There's a mistake we make in ethics. We think that there are, okay, it's got to fit one of these non-conflicting absolutes or qualified conflicting absolutes all the way. There are six different, all the way to situation ethics on that spectrum. I'm going to show you another category, okay? And this and what we're talking about is then lying, deception, dishonesty. We'll talk about that but I want you to see something. So, get rid of that argument. You have to choose between the lesser of two evils. Why? That argument is the idea that we may sometimes need to sin by choosing the lesser of two unacceptable choices. Yuck. Okay. We're going to commit a sin, but this one's easier for God to forgive. Listen, I grew up in Catholicism. Let's stop making mortal and venial sins out of things, all right? So, let's see what the Bible has to say. A little further. This often becomes the argument used in the classic illustration then of Nazi German soldiers deceiving the Nazis about the Jews you are hiding is wrong. We are taught, but not as wrong as telling the faithful truth about their whereabouts, which would ultimately then get them killed. So what's better than to lie or have them have blood on your hands because they got killed because you didn't want to lie? No, 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 no. Don't, don't think in those categories, okay? Now notice. Adherence to this, those who hold to this position say it's okay to remain silent or even to tell part of the truth, but it's not okay to tell information that is incorrect. It has just been shown above that all those strategies can still be dishonest. To allow for some of the tamer strategies of deception, yet commit the more blatant strategies, it does not seem, to me at least, consistent with Scripture. So, here we go. The next paragraph on the top of page four is worth circling. It seems that the main difference in the situations of the unfaithful spouse and the Nazi German soldiers is that they fall into two different categories. The difference is that of truth owed. The truth about the affair in that marriage is clearly owed to the wife. But why is it not dishonest to use those same strategies with the German soldiers? It's not dishonest to do what Corey Ten Boom's family and others did because the truth was not owed to them. 
Okay? And when you see examples of Rahab and others, the truth was not owed to those soldiers or others. Okay? Let me develop it. Although the Bible is clear that almost always the truth is owed. And, and look this way for a moment. Why am I doing this? Because you'll read in Paul Copan's books and some of the others where they talk about this, that there are those who have made the God of the Old Testament inconsistent with the God that we know in the New Testament. And they say back there that God was much like Allah, where Allah can, can lie because he's doing it for good purposes. And they you understand what I'm saying? And so those who are, who are agnostic to the faith or even trying to find wedges in our Christianity of inconsistency want to show that the God of the Old Testament was this vindictive, warring God, etc. But the God of the New Testament is love, turn the other cheek, etc. And so that you really don't have an honorable, consistent God. Therefore, the Bible itself is not credible. Okay? And we are showing that is not at all the case. Same God from Genesis to Revelation. All right? How does then God permit deception? How does God say, take everything when you destroy that city? How can he be consistent? Here it is. Although Bible is clear that the truth is almost always owed, there seem to be three categorical possible exceptions. Number one, when innocent lives are in danger. When an innocent life was in danger. And I give you some references there. Number two, when people were held, being held unjustly in slavery. Okay? And I've given you the illustrations there. We'll look at a footnote. And then in war situations. Joshua, and I've listed several there. And that's where I also put Rahab, uh, Joshua chapter 6. Okay, and you can see footnote 7 there. Okay, so Joshua, uh, Rahab's situation in the book of Joshua fits then war situations or the endangerment of innocent lives. So look at the example. Go down to the bottom where I, I've given you many scriptures. Just the, uh, and We won't have time to turn and read to them. I'm sorry for that. That's why I've given you the notes to go back and study. But in the footnote number 8, the examples of innocent lives in danger are seen, for instance, in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 5. Samuel is going to anoint David. Saul now is going insane, crazy, and, and, and Samuel protests and says, if I go to him, he's going to kill me. Well, here's what I want you to tell him then. Okay, and he then, in essence, if you meet him, you tell the king this. Okay, is he ultimately going to anoint David? Yeah, but you're not going to tell him that. You're going to tell him this instead. Okay, First Samuel 21, 13. David is pretending to be insane so they don't kill him. Is he deceiving them? Yes, letting his spit run down his beard and whatnot. Have a beard that just seems gross to me, but nonetheless, okay, the example of unjust slavery in Exodus 1, verses 15 through 21. These are these midwives. They were supposed to make sure these children were killed. They didn't do it. Went back and give a report that they were. Examples of war and warlike situations. In Rahab's lie, she hid the two spies that were, she's protecting the Hebrew spies that are going to come in in a warlike manner later. Joshua 8, verses 2 through 8. 
This is the deception of the ambush at Ai. Some pronounce it Ai. It's Ai, ordered by God. Or 2 Samuel 5, 22-25, a surprise attack. Or 2 Kings 6, 18-20, uh, they're blind, and Elisha is going to say, follow me and I will take you to the city. Okay? And so he's going to lead the Syrian soldiers, an entire division of Syrian soldiers, he's going to lead into the Jewish hands. Okay? Those are several of the examples that are cited by biblical critics against Scripture. I've just given you a few. It is clear, paragraph number three at the top, that the unfaithful husband does not seem, uh, bottom line, let's forget the other he doesn't flat out fall in any of these categories. You get that? For this reason, the clear Bible commands to honesty must be followed. On the other hand, well, what, how can you say the Nazi soldiers? What is the purpose of government? To protect and to punish evildoers. They are called an instrument of God. Okay? And they are then carrying out an ordinance of God, as it's called, in Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. Have they left? Are they no longer then? If you want to put it this way, a government that God would recognize as doing his purposes and will. No. This became, by the way, the argument for a revolutionary war in the United States against King George and others. They had left their government, God-given authority and rights. Okay? Notice what I put here. In this situation, the, the German soldiers acting under commands then of their uh, uh, officers are owed nothing, owed anything. They are to be treated as what they are, a gang of, not a... A government acting in righteousness and right, they are a gang of murderers. This situation would fit the exceptions of war and innocent life in danger. Here we go. When the truth is not owed, both verbal and nonverbal false information then is acceptable. Now keep, don't just say, well, okay, in all these situations, the truth, my boss at work isn't owed. Okay. Well, well, I am giving you three situations here. So I can tell them, back in the COVID days, I got the vaccine when I really didn't. No, no, no. Okay, well, I'm protecting my innocent life. Okay. No, no, no. Okay, track with me. In the Bible, these are the three categories I find. You can wrestle through some of the others, but then go to God and ask for forgiveness. Okay, then you're living in that category of the lesser of two evils, which I don't, I don't promote, advocate, or justify. Most Christians would agree that it's okay to tell part of the truth or to remain silent in the case of the Nazi German soldiers. It must be emphasized that in that case, there would be no sin in telling the Nazi soldiers information that's not accurate. Why? Well, as previously stated, not saying the whole truth or remaining silent can be misleading and deceptive. And when the truth is owed, you would be committing a sin because you are then committing a sin of some form of lying. But they are not committing a sin in the situation with the German soldiers because the truth, again, is not owed. Those four words. 
For the same reason, telling misinformation is not sin, because the truth in certain situations, the exceptions, is not owed. Giving verbal misinformation is just one of many ways of misleading or deceiving. We have no reason to put it in a separate category from the other strategies of deception and dishonesty. An example most would agree that deception is invoked is in those battle strategies of the Old Testament. Does one really believe that was okay to pretend to defeat Ai and flee as if they were in trouble, yet it would have been sin for a general to shout out, we are in trouble, retreat, so they all hear it, okay, and call for the ruse? No. Does one really believe that uttering untrue words to enhance believability would have been sin while it was okay to act them out? They'd be inconsistent. The position, notice number five, does not falsely water down a biblical absolute. And there are biblical absolutes, but it does accurately represent the biblical commands and examples in a way similar to those of killing. Now, is killing permitted in Scripture? Is murder permitted in Scripture? No. I've been in the military, was in for six years, okay? And for those of us who've been in the military, we took an oath to defend and uphold the Constitution of the United States. That might, and when that means to, to what? Defend, defend means what? Killing. And you're going to hear Paul Copan, and you will hear Timothy Demi, who teaches, who has two doctorates, PhDs, one in history, one in ethics, teaches at the Naval War College, and for 20 years has taught presidents, both Bushes, he has taught senators, he's taught congressmen, and he teaches naval officers, the elite naval officers, on ethics. Okay, war, killing, use of which weapons, etc. And so here is this born-again Christian who's, who's also for 27 years a military chaplain who teaches ethics with two PhD and has six masters of arts degrees and, and science degrees in the realm of ethics, science, history, and military. And go listen to Tim at some point, but he talks about this. And, uh, and as he deals with it, would, would he say killing is wrong? No. Murder? Absolutely wrong. And you can be put to death for murder. Okay? But the Bible also says, thou shalt not kill. And the term there is actually murder. So, now notice then. So, in light of all that's been said, the sin of lying, deception, dishonesty can be accurately defined as not telling all the truth that is owed to whoever, whoever it is owed. This may seem like a watering down of scripture absolutes, but one should look at other scriptural absolutes. Is it accurate to say you can never steal, take something that was not yours? No, in light of the biblical commands in the Old Testament to take that which was the enemy's, take this. Okay, The absolute, quote, would actually have to be stated, qualified, I put here, with the inclusion of an exception. Okay, just like I said, you can kill in when under command and it's justified by authority, etc. Okay, if a soldier kills an enemy, okay, but it was not given as part of a mission, he's going to face trial for murder. Does that make sense? 
If he acts outside of a command, even in a war zone, that's murder. Does it make sense? It has to have the right authority. It has to be done by... There's all kinds of rules for engagement. And our country still civilly practices rules of engagement. Okay? And as officers, we have to learn that. Or you will go to prison. For what? Murder. There's a distinction. Okay? A little bit further then. It is more accurate to say that you should never take something that is not yours unless you are in a warlike situation. Such a situation would be one in which there will very possibly be serious injury, damage or property or loss of life. Similar situations are found in the commands regarding killing and submission to government. To actually represent the unchangeable and violent truth, you must include the exceptions. You must submit to government except when they ask you to what? Disobey God. Because now they have moved out from underneath being authorized as a government for good by God. Okay? We would rather obey God than man when the government told them you cannot do this. Peter said that. You must not kill except in self-defense, warlike situations, or in just punishment for crimes. And by the way, if someone breaks in your home with the attempt to harm you or your family, what are you allowed to do? Defend your family. Might that mean loss of life? Yes. Is it justified? Yes. Okay. But you still have to follow, if I could use the term, rules of engagement. Now, as a Christian, you can be very Augustinian, okay, in that sense, and that is, I know I'm going to heaven, I would defend my family, but I, I may let them take my life. I don't want to kill, I wouldn't kill people. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you can do that. Would I do that? Now, I'm an, my specialty is Augustinian, and I did doctoral research in that area, okay? And so I majored in patristics and, and studied, and I wrote my dissertation on Augustine's just war principles, okay? But there's a point. That's Augustine, okay? Taint Dave Burgraph, okay? I own pistols, guns, and whatnot, all right? Not only do I hunt, but... Yeah, moving on, okay? You must tell the truth except when the truth is not owed. Did you see are the exceptions? Okay. If one can accept the first two statements about defending and honoring and obeying government, except when they tell you to disobey God, then you also... You can see then that the, the, it's, as you look at this, the syllogism A equals B, B equals C, then A equals C. Lastly, then, Roman numeral number six. Undoubted, like most ethical issues, this is one of a continual struggle. There aren't just cookie-cutter answers, okay? You're dealing with issues. Undoubtedly, the majority of Christians would admit they are most comfortable with absolutes. Just tell me what the rules are. And it's much more comfortable living there. And quite uncomfortable when it comes to questions about when truth is owed. Does it make sense? But I've underlined the next four lines on my notes or put in yellow. In the vast majority of dilemmas, the truth is always going to be owed. As previously shown, those biblical examples where it seems that the truth was not owed were in cases of what? A life in danger, innocent life, 
people being unjustly held against their will in slavery and warlike situations. Let me just say, you're not going to encounter too many of those in your life. Those are exceptions. Do you understand where I'm going with this? Day in, day out is the truth owed. Yes. Those other exceptions that people want to use to discredit God's credibility fall under those categories. Does it make sense? They're the rare, they are the exceptions to God's absolutes. Making, now let me give you a couple where you might find. Making a case for deception and misinformation is similar to the justification for those occasions when killing is permitted. There may be a continuum with clear ends and a murky middle. I just explained about taking life, murder, etc., police officers, etc., have to live in that. A spout, and that's why today then they carry body cams and everything, because I need to show the situation justified, the use of deadly force. A spouse is owed the truth about their spouse's infidelity. A teacher is owed the truth from her students. A boss is owed the truth from his employees, paying you to be a truthful employee. She's in paying you to be a truthful employee. On the other end of the spectrum, from our understanding of Scripture presented in the study now, it's likely none of us would have a problem giving misinformation, for instance, for soldiers who are in the Sudan. And again, they're doing what the Nazi German soldiers did. Okay, The Sudanese government's practices of rampant slavery, ethnic cleansing, make that war situation similar to the biblical examples do you understand? Are you hiding Christians here? Okay. It won't be Jews. It's going to be Christians or others. We can confident, and those are the ones who went into villages and would take 300, for instance, of these young women. Okay. We can confidently assume that was also the case in the war of Afghanistan. And the pullout last year, as we pulled out, we left many people who were national Afghanis there behind. And if they're asked, did you hide American soldiers? And they may be Christians who are maybe not Muslim, but they're still nationals there, and they're forced in this situation. Indeed, there may be Christians among those who are left behind at the withdrawal and having to wrestle with these questions now, even as we sit comfortably in this room. Also consider somewhere in the foggy middle of this all, what should be the appropriate ethical action when smuggling Bibles into China, North Korea, etc.? This is not a warlike situation, okay? However, with that in mind, uh, what's going on, notice the prospect of imprisonment, persecution for Christians, even Chinese people who you were going to meet with, etc., who oppose their communist government's policies. And an American life may not be in danger, but theirs might be. On the other hand, the government has clearly violated its role to punish evil and to protect lives when they're killing their own citizens because of faith actions, etc. And so it's difficult then as we look at this to determine if they forfeited their right to the truth regarding the Bible. Notice I said North Korea or any other hostile regime, anti-Christian regimes, for example. On the one hand, then, if it's determined that truth is owed, since Bible smuggling is not directly related to the loss of innocent life, and you want to put it under that category, one should avoid all forms of deception, not hiding the materials in any way when you pack your suitcases. The answer to the broader border guards or custom agents would need to be clear, direct, and without any attempt at deception. You might answer, oh yeah, by the way, I've got 5,000 Bibles in my suitcases, with the hope that they'd go for the bluff and not check the bags at all. Okay, 
But even a true statement spoken like that with deception is still could be questionable. You understand what I'm saying? So I leave it with this. Were they offered the truth in the first place? Or would they misuse that? So were they owed the truth? That's that murky middle. That's the murky middle. I love that phrase, murky middle, but you get the idea. So one can see the application of this view that misinformation is sometimes acceptable at, at some points, though, than stronger, stronger view than the Christians who want a lesser of evils. You understand? Because now you're limited to three categorical exceptions. You can't whimsically make up categories. Those are the categories I find in Scripture. Does it make sense? Which are highly limited, but which we have to operate under. And that category then is a government left its authority and rule. Okay. So, if, and, and if the truth is owed, there is no room then for deceptive silence, etc. In turn, if a situation fits one of those rare exceptions, no type of misinformation appears wrong, the truth is not owed. And then at a, ba a boss, if they're doing things illegally, etc., um, in those situations, you have to tell the truth over the consequences, you're probably going to lose your job. But then again, would you want to work for a company that's deceitful to the customer? you understand what I'm saying? That's what's happening with some whistleblowers. The big pharma or wherever it is. Do you understand what I mean? The consequences are going to be, as a Christian, I can't live with what I know is going on. Then what do you do with that? Chances are, if you know it and it's bringing harm to others, you need to bring that forward and live with the consequences. That That's what Mark is talking about today. You're making a choice and you may not be able to control the consequences, even though you're making good choices. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. People were making good choices. They were losing property, imprisonment, and everything else. There are cases like that throughout Scripture. Okay. So, um, I didn't leave much time for... I anticipated some questions in there and shoot up our time. And I take any questions real quickly? Do you understand that to whom is truth owed? And you need to look at what Romans and God doesn't leave us in the gray areas he does tell you okay this is what their purpose of the government was for etc and so governments need to recognize sometimes they aren't a government that righteous people may necessary so you can use the governmental means may lead ultimately to revolt or protest and how far do you want to go and protest which is revolt ultimately revolution Yes, sir. Right. Yeah. Part of exactly. All right. Now, um, thank you for your time, and let's have a word of prayer that God would help us as we live to live honestly as we can, and when people attack Scripture, to defend the view that you ought to understand there are exceptions. Now you know the categories of exceptions, and we can use that both in our ethics, but also in our apologetics to defend God's Word and God's integrity. We don't need to defend God. He's capable of it. But in their eyes, to see that, no, you misunderstand something. Father, thank you for our time together. 
May it be profitable, please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.